Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From the Scopes Monkey Trial to O.J. Simpson, trials have always made us reflect on the world we live in. I'm Mira Hayward, and my podcast, History on Trial, will explore fascinating trials from American history. Join me in revealing the true story behind the headlines and discover how the legal battles of the past have shaped our present. Listen and subscribe to History on Trial, now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Ball Mission Control Deck, and most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. We're talking about war. Uh, what is it good for? Uh, it's incredibly ugly. It's a tremendous engine of horror, tragedy, innovation, and surprisingly, the surreal. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about something that stuck with us, uh, for, for a while, when we first found out about it, a particular piece of UFO lore that comes from the days of war amid the chaos of the Korean conflict in the 1950s, this encounter may have played a role in the creation of the secret initiative now known as Project Blue Book. But before we do any of that, we, uh, we want to once again, I think it's very important for us to talk about the history of UFO sightings and what it tells us about human culture. So here are the facts. I mean, we've talked recently about Japanese UFO kind of lore in some of our uh, our uh, Instagram videos. Yeah, I've been um, obsessed with it. Sure, a million percent. Yeah. I think it's something that's always grabbed all of us. Just the idea that you know there's a cultural lens through which to view this kind of stuff, and it ultimately, you know, like you always say, Ben, uh, kind of folds back into the idea of folklore. Um, we've heard reports of you know folks seeing weird stuff in the sky back to antiquity. Yeah, since people really got into this people thing, they've been seeing peopling. Yeah, peopling. Since people started to people, they've been seeing stuff in the sky. And it's hard to understand exactly how folks interpreted what they saw. This is one of the biggest points about any UFO encounter. We discussed this at length in previous episodes. Please check them out. If you want to understand a UFO sighting, you have to understand the culture in which people live because it plays a tremendous role in their interpretation and what they think they're seeing. The sites of strange aerial phenomenon are the basis of religions sometimes. They begin and end wars and empires. You know, uh, there are multiple stories of an eclipse happening and it being thought of as a sign of a god's favor. Uh, it's it's a real thing. I mean, heck, you know, the origin of religion in general, I think there was a time where people truly did believe that angels lived in the sky, <laughs> you know, like heaven was a place that you could maybe get to or something. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm not trying to be flippant, but I do seem to believe that there was a time where, you know, there was some foundational religious belief, you know, the idea of the gods living on Olympus, you know, being a place that you could access somehow. And those may still be beliefs that some people hold. Who a knows? million percent. Um, yeah, but I really like what you're getting at here because it feels very similar to not just being applied to religion, but being applied to 
the enemies of whatever village you're in or state you're in or, you know, country you live in. The, those those things in the sky that you can't identify very likely may be from whatever, name your enemy, right? Right, yeah. Is it the devil? Is it the, uh, is it like, <laughs> what, Chernobyl? Uh, is it... Um, the Soviets or maybe the U.S.? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the Fey, right? Or the hidden folk. It, it also, it's. I think it's important to note this too. Uh, I always think of the cargo cult example, which is pretty recent, right? In the South Pacific, uh, the people who engaged in cargo cults practices were just as smart as any other person on the planet. They were using the same hardware most everybody uses, that being their brains, and they were processing things through their cultural lens. It was about like stuff being dropped or like de- de- not debris, but like stuff that just wasn't native to that culture and them kind of worshiping it as like godlike kind of totems of some kind. Wasn't that the deal? Yeah. The idea was uh, that one could through certain rituals meant to uh, call back to allied forces functioning in the South Pacific. You could uh, encourage the return of cargo this crazy treasure trove of stuff that, like you said, a lot of people in the community had not seen before. And there are examples of UFOs in virtually every civilization across time, like as long as people had eyes to see and some method to record what they saw, you're going to find a record of it. That's why people like Eric Von Daniken have made uh, long careers over over these interpretations, applying their own cultural lenses to them in retrospect. I mean, we talked about Utsurubune, uh, the hollow ship, quote-unquote UFO, or uh, technically those would be USO precedents, uh, unidentified submerged objects. You can look back in Egypt in like 1440 BCE. There are these conjectures about fiery flying disc. Uh, the Roman Republic was all about this. You can go find something as far back as 28, or as 218 BCE, and there are so many other similar examples. Well, especially when you apply critical thinking, as we like to encourage on stuff they don't want you to know. Um, once the scientific method uh, and critical thinking started to kind of be a little more widely, you know, regarded uh, favorably, um, folks started to kind of uh, evaluate a lot of these sorts of things outside of the realm of pure belief. Yeah, yeah. Scientific method, critical thinking comes into vogue, hopefully a fad that continues for a while, and people started applying um, a more systematic approach to classifying things, to trying to evaluate them. And that's why modern ufologists will generally confirm that the majority of UFO, UAP sightings can ultimately, can plausibly be explained by mundane phenomenon, weather, atmospheric hijinks, unfamiliar wildlife, like, well, I mean, we, I think we readily admit when we don't know stuff, I can't name every bird. Oh, God. You know? <laughs> you could. And how dare they be able to do that blasphemous act? a really weird person. That's too. an incantation that would bring down chaos from above, I guarantee. Name every bird and see what happens. Nothing good. <laughs> Great first date questions. Follow us for more relationship advice. <laughs> Next name every nut. Uh, sorry. Well, yeah. Well, and, and like... A lot of the UFO encounters we we see today, they do have some kind of video evidence, right? There's a video that you'll see on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or somewhere like that, and you have to use your own critical thinking skills to see if it's one of those things we just listed, or is it something that was generated by somebody making a video, whether for fun or profit or whatever. But like with the tic-tac thing, not the tic-tac, that's one that we all has sort of broken that whole mold a little bit, right? Where we that's like kind of indisputable or what do you guys think? Well, it's multiple witnesses, right? Mm-hmm. And who are experts in their field mm-hmm. and video but evidence. Also, I mean, yeah, but, but again, like to your point, Matt, and you know, you coming from a video background, it's easy to fake video evidence, but like there's usually some sort of calling card or some sort of like watermark that not on purpose, like some, uh, what's the word artifact that would be it that would, you know, kind of give away the game, but those seem pretty legit. Yeah. There are technical ways to tell if something is, you know, layered or, uh, motion tracked in certain ways, which is one of the primary ways that you would make a UFO video nowadays. Yeah. At present, 
those methods are still reliable, but we're entering, you know, of course, the uh, the era of the deep fake, uh, where it will be increasingly easy for bad faith actors to uh, to give you the impression that they saw something when they didn't. Also, going back to the uh, Tic Tac, the the A Tip videos. The the jury is still out on those officially. No one has come forward and solidly proven their case. There are a lot of people who are arguing about this, but you might be surprised to find the conversations like this, these sightings, they have continued relatively uninterrupted. They've waxed and waned with uh, social panics. They've waxed and waned with conflicts. A lot of a lot of UFO sightings plummeted uh once radar got better <laughs> but <laughs> today right we got a bogey we got ourselves a bogey y'all yeah exactly and what if we told you fellow conspiracy realists there was a case more than half a century ago with multiple witnesses who believed that not only had they encountered something inexplicable but that it had left physical evidence on their bodies. This is the story of Private First Class Francis P. Wall. And you know what? I say we I say we cut right to the chase here. Why don't we take a pause for a word from our sponsors and uh, let's dive into the story. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody including sitting presidents so join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're going to do it our way listen to our way on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts In July 1881, a man walked into a train station, pulled out a gun, and shot the President of the United States. James Garfield's assassination horrified the American people, and they wanted his killer, Charles Guiteau, punished. But Guiteau, many experts believed, was insane. What had seemed like a black-and-white case was now much grayer. Could the justice system truly deliver justice in a situation like this? Guiteau's trial was extraordinary, but not unique. Important trials have always raised questions and made us reflect on the world we live in. I'm Mira Hayward, and I'm exploring the stories of these trials in my new podcast, History on Trial. Every episode will cover a different trial from American history and reveal how the legal battles of the past have shaped our present. Listen and subscribe to History on Trial, now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Here's where it gets crazy. Let's talk about the Korean War. You know, never officially ended. That's always weird to me. I mean, what what, what does that mean? I, I know what it means diplomatically and on paper, but it's like, I guess it's not a hot war. It's just people are just sort of cranky at each other, just indefinitely. Yeah, they have a um the uh, the armistice specifically says it's not a peace treaty and South Korea and the DPR the Republic of Korea, South Korea, DPRK or North Korea both officially want the peninsula to be reunified. But the thing is they 
South Korea says, we can't wait till the entire peninsula is South Korea. And North Korea says, we can't wait until the entire peninsula is North Korea. Well summed up. And obviously, you know, as in other like modern kind of Cold War situations like that, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a case of not being able to go into an area <laughs> indefinitely, like with the Berlin Wall. Mm, yeah, that's a very good uh, comparison. Our story with Francis P. Wall takes place when he's a young tyke in May of 1951. His regiment, 25th Division, 27th Regiment, 2nd Battalion, Easy Company, they are stationed uh, near a place called Chorwan, which is about 60 miles north of Seoul. It's in modern-day DPRK. Yeah, and uh, one day, as they were preparing to bombard a village like they do with artillery, uh, some soldiers saw an alarming sight in the hills. They described it as uh, like a jack-o'-lantern come wafting down across the mountain. That sounds charming. Um, Yeah, just, you know, while they were taking a beat before bombing the village. (laughs) Yeah, they also, I guess we should pause here too, because they also later uh, said that they had sent some of their men into the village and warned the population, you know, the innocent bystanders, hey, we're going to blow you, blow up your homes. So literally leave. blow up your spot. Right. We're blowing up the spot. Uh, so the thing that's interesting about that is that we know enemy forces that may have wanted to retaliate would therefore have an advance warning, right? Quite possibly, because this wasn't an all, all of a sudden sneak attack in the cover of night. They uh, they launched the artillery, and the air bursts are going on, and we're we're going to get a lot of this from an interview that Wall gave to a guy named John P. Temmerman of the Center for UFO Studies. He gave this interview in 1987, so a lot of like decades had passed, uh, but he had a lot of choice quotes here, and you know we're fans of primary sources, so we thought we would give you the story in his own words before we we try to suss out what may or may not have happened that may yes yeah, so this uh jack-o'-lantern like thing let's just an orb that is illuminated in some way right it was it appeared to be originating from the airburst so so the explosions itself at, at least that's what i'm reading from the reports that i've seen Right. We're talking about bombs bursting in air, literally. Right. That is what this thing is. Yes. Like the air burst that's being described. I just, I've never heard that term before, but I'm, I'm imagining that's what the uh, the national anthem is referring to. Yes. I mean, that's what. Yeah, no, not the. No, it's not. But <laughs> it's not the bombs bursting. It. Yes, it is. It, it, sure it is. It's referring to artillery. But not this one. Right. <laughs> OK. I'm saying it's a similar technology. <laughs> we can leave all of this out. No, I do believe, it, I do believe right. that I'm correct. You're, yeah, you're correct. I, but it's, I'll die on this hill. It's going to look different this than this. Because okay. this is 1951 bombs bursting in air. That's all. Okay, fair enough. Okay, <laughs> carry on. Carry on. But oh, still, okay, different, uh, different technology, but same tactics. Yes. We can agree on that. Sure. There okay. we go. Uh, okay. But yeah, bombs bursting in air made it in the national anthem. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So it was a bit weird because this, it's reported as. Sometimes, at least the way I read it, it's originating from the blast, and or it is moving to where the blasts are occurring, right? It, so I'm I'm still having a hard time visualizing exactly what this person is saying. It might be good to go to that interview with John P. Timmerman. Yeah, he says, we further notice that this object would get right into the center of an airburst of artillery and yet remain unharmed. So it is unclear whether it just moved toward that with extreme speed or whether it somehow came about. And how, I mean, obviously there's going to be debris and smoke and stuff. Mm-hmm. How are they going to, you know, uh, observe this thing not being harmed after the blasts? Well, it's artillery, so they're pretty far away, right? Yeah, they're far away. They're in a mount they're in a mountainous area near some bunkers that they're going to plan to run back to the way they, the reason they can see this thing is because it has um, a very specific series of colors that are quite bright and not the same color as the explosions uh, for at least part of the time. And it has a weird trajectory. Allegedly. Yes. We're just going to sprinkle allegedly all over this seasoning on checkers. The tastiest seasoning. You season your, Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I was going to say they come pre-seasoned Ben. (laughs) 
right, right. When they're cooking them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, they, Wall describes how at first this thing glowed orange, and then it switches its color to a pulsating blue-green light that's very bright. Brilliance, the word he uses, wom, wom, wom. That would obviously cut through smoke in a really probably almost would uh, highlight it in a way, right? Like yeah, this, the yeah. smoke, the thing you'd been used to seeing would have like shades in there that would be um, unusual. Like neon lights on a foggy night. Mm-hmm. And just an interesting note here, if this thing is somehow increasing in temperature, that would check out when it's turning from those orange, more oh. orange hues to like a greenish blue. Oh, you're hue. talking about color temperature, right? There we go. Yeah, because if it's increasing, it's if it's increasing in heat, that would be occurring. So that to me is really interesting that this thing potentially, as it appears and is continuing to operate, it's heating up for one reason or another. Yeah, and Walt is watching this in a state of shock with a bunch of a uh, bunch of his colleagues. And he asked the company commander, one Lieutenant Evans, can I fire at this thing? <laughs> Before we bomb the village, is it cool if I fire this other thing, this thing that I don't know what it is? <laughs> right. Like <laughs> while the bombing's happening, yeah. uh, he's got M1 rifle with armor piercing rounds and the artillery doesn't seem to be affecting this at all. As, as we said, uh, when he shoots the craft, he recalls that he did hit it. And that he heard the bullets make a metallic ding sound is how he phrases it. In my head, I can't help but imagine the old westerns of, of someone hitting Ding. a spittoon. 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 Matt, it's a you, you mentioned that this, I mean, it's artillery, so this is pretty far off. How far off are we talking? And forgive me if I missed that figure. Well, I, I don't have the details, but you've probably seen one of, it also depends on what type of artillery, right? Are we, ta- are we talking about mortar and kind of artillery? Are we talking well, those about are large, large range. huge artillery yeah. guns? Uh, because those things are massive, and yeah, they can fire very far. It just for depends. it to detonate, though, for for them to be seeing it at the point of detonation, seems like it would be quite far away. And then all that stuff clocks in terms of the color of the light and the flashes. But so he's sniping at this thing essentially, like, like yeah, looking yeah, through a the, scope. The yeah. M1 rifle we're talking about is a was something you would put on your shoulder, right, and fire. Mm-hmm. It's its effective firing range is five hundred yards. Okay, well that's really helpful. So. There, I mean, so it's close. It was so it was probably closer than 500 yards. They were definitely watching what was happening, and so he does hit it. And unlike the artillery airburst, it reacts to this attack and it begins behaving even more erratically, kind of like if you almost hit a fly. Is the way he's describing it. it starts zigzagging around like, like one a of those robot uh, going haywire. You know? yeah, yeah, like one of those maps of the family circus characters walking around, <laughs> it's doing that kind of path. And then its lights flash on and off. If this story rings or dings true, then how could this thing be unaffected by that artillery? but take damage from those armor-piercing rounds. I like the idea that it emerged from the artillery. I like that a lot. I mean, in terms of, like, what makes for the cooler story, you know? It reminds me, there, there was an episode or a segment in that um, Guillermo del Toro Cabinet of Curiosities where there was a, an alien bomb that kind of went off in a mine. I don't know if you guys watched all of it. Some of them weren't very good, but that one was pretty good. And it was literally like an alien that dispersed itself by blowing, by kind of infecting somebody and then blowing up in a, in a bomb in a mine shaft. Yeah, I remember that. I, I really enjoy Cabinet Curiosities. I hope uh, there are more on the way. Um, and maybe they'll do something related to this incident. Yeah, it just had its 500th episode, guys. Oh, wait, we're, we're talking about different Cabinet of Curiosities? Okay, uh, never mind. <laughs> but do, check out, do check out Cabinet of Curiosities with Aaron Mankey and Matt Frederick and our pal Max Williams. So up to now, this object, whatever it may be, uh, it looks... It looks kind of like a flying saucer in his later interviews where he sketches it out. Uh, this object doesn't make any noise until you hear that patang and uh, the thing gets popped. And then he says, then a sound. We had heard no sound previous to this. The sound of like diesel locomotives revving up. That's the way this thing sounded. So that's interesting, too, because that would imply some sort of engine. Right, some kind of mechanical device. 
they're firing over like something of a no man's land situation or like what what's sort of in the area? Are there no diesel powered vehicles that would have been reasonably nearby? It's a great question because we're really talking about fog of war, you know? I mean, there was a village there until shortly before they saw the orb. (laughs) Yeah. At least this distracted them for a few minutes at the very least. Well, and this trained soldier is saying that the sound is emanating from this thing that he's currently shooting at or just finished shooting at. So you have to imagine he's got his wits about him enough to notice that the sound is is correlating at least with whatever this thing is doing. Yeah, and it uh, it apparently retaliates. It's not going to just take its licks from this uh, kid with an M1. Wald believes the thing attacked him and his regiment in retaliation. In this interview, he says, we were attacked, swept by some form of a ray that was emitted in pulses in waves that you could visually see only when it was aiming directly at you. That's to say, like a searchlight sweeps around and the segments of light, you would see it coming at you. A ray, like a beam, like a ray. That's wild. And were they seeing any kinds of any kind of damage being caused by this? So at the time, again, according to Wall, if it hit you, you felt something like the uh, less than lethal crowd dispersal sound, technology. The sound thingies, yeah. Yeah. The, the sound thingies, you know, sound the cannons, microwave. I guess they call them. Right. Yeah, or microwave emitters. They felt burning, tingling sensations as though they were being penetrated by energy emitted from this object, at which point these guys decide uh, that wisdom is the better part of valor, and they run away. Yeah, very money python of them. Yeah, yeah. They definitely get to a bunker to to hide from that beam. Now, if we really do think about it, your guys are right about the tingling sensation with some kind of microwave tech, but visually it sounds like some kind of laser, right? Some kind of uh, the way you would see it at a, at a laser show now or at, um, I don't know, an EDM concert or something where they've got a really cool light show where they actually split the laser beam up into those, like, as it sweeps across, you can watch it. Oh, yeah. But you know what it takes for you to be able to actually see the full beam? Smoke. Yeah. They, well, yeah, and they, have, they, have, they have a fog. Yeah. They have a fog machines. <laughs> they have those Pink Floyd laser show. That's the only way to see a yeah. slice through the crowd. That, this is the perfect scenario for an impromptu laser show <laughs> or attack. Whatever. Whichever. Potato, potato. These are, according to Wall, underground dugouts where you have peepholes to look out to fire at the enemy. He says, So I'm in my bunker with another man. We're peeping out at this thing. It hovered over us for a while, lit up the whole area with its light, and then I saw it shoot off at a 45 degree angle Beep. that quick, just there and gone that quick. And it was as though it was the end of it. So, all told, 45 minutes to an hour, they're seeing this thing and they run and hide and then they watch it. So interesting. And then it shoots off at a 45 degree angle, right? So, and that's to the ground. In in a later interview, it's like, it's just shown that he's talking about, if you look at a 90 degree angle, right? A right angle and then 45 is at the center of that. That's a pretty steep angle to be heading towards the sky, right? Like taking off. Yeah, 100%. And this is weird to these guys. They're already having a very strange, probably terrifying day. Not as terrifying as the day that the villagers in town are having uh the the boys of easy company would have just written this off as another weird war story and those occur when you're out in the field but theirs was a little bit different about 72 hours later the entire company had to be evacuated by ambulance which means that military forces pretty much had to cut roads for the ambulances because these guys couldn't walk at dysentery, they were vomiting everywhere. And Wall says that he can't really recall these days other than these very painful physical symptoms. They're just missing from his memory. It's interesting that it's described as dysentery to me, right? Um, they had just really bad indigestion, right? I mean, essentially, right? <laughs> That's something, something was scrambling with their insides is what it feels like to me. Dysentery is, is what? I mean, it's a specific malady, but it also is kind of a catch-all like Xerox. It's the know? absolute, it's like one of the absolute worst diarrheas. Exactly. Yeah, like yeah. really, mm-hmm. really bad. Um, it's just so strange to me that that. It's also strange because that stuff is caused typically by an infection, 
a parasite, virus, bacteria, you know, all the, Something the usual you ate. classics. <laughs> right. Wait, so, so is the implication of the story that, that this condition was related in some way to the uh, sighting? That's what Wall believes. I see. Later, the doctors who were examining them apparently said the men had all had extremely high white blood cell counts, and they were clueless as to why this occurred or how it could have happened. Based on the evidence they were given from the soldiers, nothing explained it. Yeah, but of course, you're in wartime. You know, you're you're eating and drinking the supplies that you've got on hand there while you're deployed. So who knows? It it's unlikely that an entire battalion like that would get caught up with something. Well, it, not necessarily. And if they were sharing common food supply and something had gone bad, it's a possibility. Bad. But I don't let's know. plant a let's plant a seed here. Uh, the causes of elevated white blood cell counts can include bone marrow problems, infection, smoking, I assume tobacco or anything, lung artillery smoke, and immune <laughs> yes. disorders, yeah, uh, allergic reactions, or physical and emotional stress. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. So he gets together with the group, you know, Lieutenant Evans, the rest of the gang, they get together, they have uh, what they call confab, and they discuss, okay, what are we going to say officially? What, what will our report on this event uh, contain? And after their discussion, they unanimously decide they're not going to say anything about it in the report. Wall says, we thought they'd lock every one of us up and think we were crazy at the time. No such thing as a UFO had ever been heard of, and we didn't know what it was. There were ideas of UFO or flying saucers, obviously, but in his cultural context and that of his his brothers in arms, they had no idea. You know what I mean? They they just didn't have the language to put on this thing. Yeah, because 47 and the Roswell crash wasn't that long ago from when this occurred, right? Four years? Right, yeah. This is new stuff. And this is brand new stuff. Still got that new uh, spaceship smell. <laughs> and Wall it smells never... like sulfur. Right. <laughs> so Wall, Wall never claims to know what this thing is. You never see him say, I 100% ran into an alien or this was an extraterrestrial. Uh, he considers it a UFO only in that he could not identify it and did not for the rest of his life, but he describes what he sees as long-term deleterious physical effects associated with the incident in his mind. Oh, yeah. He says things like he has memory loss, periods where um, it, maybe we would call it or think of it as brain fog now, disorientation, where you're unsure where you are, what's going on. Uh, he lost quite a bit of weight, uh, what what is this like 42 pounds of weight that he lost when he got back to the United States um, you know that could be stress again weight loss can be stress related another little uh, breadcrumb there Ben just the idea that stress could have related to that um, he at least wasn't he doesn't feel like he was doing very well after this experience no and it's this also doesn't factor in PTSD right which would be enormously common for survivors of the Korean War on any side. Anybody involved in such traumatic situations, you're going to have some struggles later, right? And the mind informs the body, the body informs the mind. Those are two very true things. Wall thinks there's a cover-up afoot, though. He says that he directly spoke to at least 25 other men who were there during that time and confirmed his story And at the time of this interview with Timmerman, he says, look, I lost touch with a lot of those guys. A lot of them are dead. They died either in the Korean War or they died in decades after. And the folks who are still alive, I can guarantee they're not going to come forward. Likely not. It's a shame because it's understandable what he's saying has validity, but also it tremendously weakens his claims, right? If we're just being solely objective, not calling the guy a liar, just saying that the 
evidence would be much more powerful if there were a couple of other corroborating stories. Oh, uh, absolutely. Well, and the other the other thing that isn't really great for Wall's story is that it changes a little bit. At first, and what we talked about was that the all the guys who had witnessed it, who got dysentery, got sick, didn't make it. What, what is it to Oregon? Uh, whatever. How does that? I don't. I'm trying to make an Oregon Trail joke here. Oregon Trail, but, yeah. Uh, dysentery got really sick. They all got together and they decided, hey, we're not going to tell anybody about this because we don't know what that was, and they'll think we're crazy. That was the story. We we as a group are not going to say anything about this. But then later on, he kind of changes it. To where it's like somebody told them not to say anything. Yeah, there are the story overall for most of his life afterwards. The big parts all stay the same, right? That doesn't mix up too much. But the idea that they were told or warned by some other governmental figure uh, that pops up later. And then there's also another thing that switches a bit is uh, his remark that Oh, how do you put it? First, he says he had no memory of those 72 hours, the mystery hours. And then he said he's later he talks about how something happened the day after the event and he remembered it. So there there's some wiggling there. There's some wiggle room. Well, and can we just bring up 72 hours is kind of a long time, especially kind if of. you have dysentery. It's like the minimum barrier to entry for what's considered a long time. Actually, probably it's 48 hours. So it's like a really long time. Yeah, well. Time is a relative. True. I have a, <laughs> one of my friend's kids uh, told me that time is a relative <laughs> and they meant that they were related to time. And it was one of the deepest things I had heard that father month. time. You know? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> right. So, okay. He says, wall says that he does believe the thing that happened to him was the result of a real encounter with an unidentified craft. He says, these things are real. I think there was a cover-up. We were ordered, to your point, Matt, to say nothing about this. And that shows you they're covering something up. By they, we can only assume he means Uncle Sam. Aye, 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 aye. And the quote uh, from Wall goes on, it is foolish to believe that we have the only technology anywhere, you know, I would agree with that. Uh, there are other intelligences. Well, I hope, I wish, if I can raise up any of the names of the men possibly that are still alive, and I doubt if you could get them to come forth, but if I could, there would be some way to verify this. That is an interesting statement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Because he's saying... What he's was that saying, tone, Matt? I don't understand. <laughs> he's saying that he can't verify it. And well, he exactly. understands that. He's yeah. being objective. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's, he's, he's telling a really big tale, right? I don't know. I, I, that, that kind of phrasing, like, man, I wish I could get one of those other guys to come and tell you. Because they, they, they tell you. Uh, they would I'd tell do you. It. I do it. Hey, if you just give me the chance, they're my buddies. I, but uh, not saying he's lying. It just idea. feels no, like it, something it, it, I've heard before. It's, it's unusual. That's, I'm telling you that fish was 450 mm, pounds. Mm. All right. So yeah, you're right. We're not casting aspersion on the guy. We just we have to point out the the way uh, the ways in which we need to approach these kinds of stories. Extraordinary claims. Extraordinary evidence. As ever. So there's also another troubling thing. It's an all too common narrative thread in so many stories from U.S. veterans, from veterans of any fighting force. There's a lot of cover up stuff and you don't need aliens, right? I mean, whether you're talking depleted uranium, that's a real thing and a real cover up. Agent Orange, again, a real thing, a real cover up. War crimes, you know, even Agent Orange, they, they didn't fully admit, right? I mean, they did, but there was, like, plausible deniability. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, we, we, to ever see the government fully copped, yep, that was us. Sorry about that one. Just doesn't really happen, you know? Even with what we're seeing now with, you know, UFO reports, everything's very tenuous at best. Right. And we know that the cover-ups are real. They can often fall under the insidious argument of greater good or national security, but it doesn't change the fact that people's lives can be irreparably ruined. So there's a there's a grain here. There's a seed for the pie tree of truth, right? And it gives birth to this immense folklore. Because if you hear somebody, if, if you hear a story about 
um, you know, white phosphorus cover-ups or uh, Agent Orange, war crimes, My Lie Massacre, and so on, then it becomes increasingly plausible in our heads that this could be another thing that was covered up. And and we want to hear your stories, by the way, folks. Uh, If you have served or been associated with uh, a military or fighting force anywhere in the world, we want to know if you ever heard a strange rumor or what you... what kind of rumors you heard. Uh, We'll tell you how to get in touch with us at the end of the show. But for now, we're going to pause for a word from our sponsors. And then we're going to figure out the most difficult part of this. What did Wall and the boys of Easy Company actually see out there in Korea? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody including sitting presidents so join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're going to do it our way listen to our way on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts In July 1881, a man walked into a train station, pulled out a gun, and shot the President of the United States. James Garfield's assassination horrified the American people, and they wanted his killer, Charles Guiteau, punished. But Guiteau, many experts believed, was insane. What had seemed like a black-and-white case was now much grayer. Could the justice system truly deliver justice in a situation like this? Guiteau's trial was extraordinary, but not unique. Important trials have always raised questions and made us reflect on the world we live in. I'm Mira Hayward, and I'm exploring the stories of these trials in my new podcast, History on Trial. Every episode will cover a different trial from American history and reveal how the legal battles of the past have shaped our present. Listen and subscribe to History on Trial, now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And we're back. So, what what happened? Was it... Okay. I hate that we have to say it, but we do have to say it. It's part of due diligence. Could the entire group just have misinterpreted what they saw, right? To the idea of cultural framework to the idea of thinking of enemy forces. When you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Would they have immediately thought this is a Chinese or Soviet craft? Would they have Would they have later started to play the game of telephone unconsciously with themselves? You know, three, three people are hanging out a couple weeks after the event, and one says, well, I remember that it wasn't orange or maybe it was orange at the beginning, but then it changed color. You remember that too, right? And some, the second person says, Oh yeah, I guess. Yeah. I kind of think, yeah. Okay. Well, if you saw it, I mean, yeah, I, there's definitely that kind of story building that could have occurred, right? If something strange did happen where there's not an easy explanation for whatever that thing was, then I can imagine in that moment, in those 72 hours, while everybody is puking and pooping, their brains out um maybe there is a story that starts to build right Um, the old poop and puke yeah yeah (laughs) 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 i mean i've been there i've been there before in that like state of 
a disorientation that Wall is talking about where you're that sick, right? You just can't even really get out of your bed unless it's to evacuate more. That's awful. And I can imagine that during that time, a story grows. But at the same time, some of those specifics, I, mean, I can't get some of the specifics out of my head. The way he describes a laser beam attack of some sort, a light attack. I don't know. In, in, for it to have occurred in 1951, it just feels otherworldly to me. Yeah. And then also telling the story. You know, we don't have an original recording right. of these guys in 1951 describing this. We do know that the laser and the maser were invented officially in 1960. Yeah. So that's when Theodore Maiman made the first operative laser. But, you, but we, know, we know what we know about what was going on, you know, in <laughs> Groom Lake not long after this. Um, and it's just some of the other testing that the military was doing. So who knows? And who, we only know bits and pieces of what the U S military was doing. What about militaries in Japan, China, uh, in Korea, in any of any of the Pacific countries, who knows what was being developed at that time in secret, especially because the laser, I believe, uh, grew out of, an observation made by Albert Einstein way back in 1916. Mm -hmm. So there were people working. We're not trying to take anything away from the actual inventor of the laser. We're just saying secret technology is real. Uh, but again, none of the alleged physical effects have been officially confirmed as far as we can find at this point by military records. If you have those records, we would love to see them and learn more. Let's talk about the second possibility, the fun one, an extraterrestrial craft. Uh, we want to believe we're Fox Mulder X-Files stands here, but I don't know. One of the first things I, I started looking for, and I think we all did, was um, whether there were other similar sightings. And according to one book, Unusual Footnotes to the Korean War, there were um, allegedly 42 other sightings of similar weird stuff in the sky. Not exactly the same story, but enough of like UFO incidents, we mm -hmm. could call them. Oh, for sure. For sure. And it reminds me a lot of the Foo Fighters sightings that occurred during World War II. Like they, sometimes people who are fighting in the military see strange stuff in the sky, especially if they're pilots or if they're on ships out in the middle of the ocean. Um, Foo Fighters really have been on tour forever. About that. <laughs> Just terminally on tour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get some time with your family, Dave. Jeez. He seems so, like a lovely fellow, though, I have to say. And they're yeah, he so was good making live. barbecue for charity, and they are very good live. Uh, Foo Fighters, of course, uh, Matt is referring to, are the origin of the name, the band, that the band, the Foo Fighters, picked. Uh, and it's exactly what you described, you know, these unidentified phenomenon, maybe not quite objects, but uh, bright lights. They would fly alongside pilots. Mm -hmm. Just like a dolphin swimming along a boat or a scuba diver. <laughs> that yeah. gave me chills thinking about it that way, Ben. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's, that, okay, then that brings us to Richard F. Haynes. Richard F. Haynes was on the History Channel in conversation. And, you know, we have made our opinions about some of the History Channel's choices <laughs> diplomatically clear, uh, we would hope, after, after these years. Anyway, uh, Richard Haynes is a UFO researcher and former NASA scientist, and he's talking on this History Channel program, and he says, well, what if, what if this wasn't an enemy craft? What if this wasn't a top-secret U.S. thing? What if it was some sort of third-party observer that was involved? And he doesn't quite say aliens. Like, it's right to the, right to the precipice of aliens. Well, I, you know what? Let's just quote him directly. Quote. We tend to be very creative to fight a war. If you were interested in how another country or another race of people fought their wars, you'd want to collect information on that, wouldn't you? Uh, that's one possible explanation. Okay, I just want to say, in the thing, when he's talking, uh, in, that, in that quote, where he's kind of asking this thought experiment question, after he says what Noel just said, you'd want to collect information, he pauses and he kind of trails off. Uh, and he says, that's one possible explanation which makes me wonder 
whether the producers were feeding him lines. I don't want to sound cynical. I don't want to sound... Usually you'd fix that with an edit, right? That's right. You'd Frankenbite it a little, right? Yeah. It's, to me, that's more he's getting in his own head and like, uh... Okay. That's one Yeah, thing. I can see that. I don't know. Yeah, he's th- thinking through it. You know, we need, you know who we need? We need that uh, William Defoe character from Boondock Saints yeah. to investigate UFO sightings. <laughs> that guy will not stop dogging you until he gets you. He always gets his man. But it is a really, guys, this is a really cool concept. Just the idea that if there was an extraterrestrial observer of some sort or time travel observer, they would want to see, observe the enemy. I, I love this idea of no just question. sending we, we, in a tra- drone to be like, oh, yeah, they've got uh, metal. It looks like metal munitions and explosives. This He's got up. an M1. Yeah. Watch <laughs> out. M1 we, 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 I, think, I think we've arrived at this uh, point a few times uh, where that would be a logical reason, you know, for doing it. It would be like recon. You know what I mean? Like the question always becomes, why would they bother? Well, they would bother if they, you know, were not so alarmingly ahead of us technologically. They did need a little bit of an edge, you know? Yeah. And there's also research. I mean, the only, the best examples, not the only examples, but the the best examples are looking back at human history. What have humans done when in similar situations? During the U.S. Civil War, it was, and other earlier wars, the well-to-do would set up and have picnics on hills while they watched battles, and they didn't. And they didn't feel ethically fraught about this at all. At, at all. Well, that was quite a big boom. Did you see that one, Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> now, are you for the blues or the grays? Uh, as a, the blues this well, week. <laughs> well, as a colorblind man, I'm simply uh, going for whomever's on the on the uh, over there by the hill, by the flamey bit. You see it. I'm going with whoever's winning. <laughs> there we go. Uh, this is this is us at a picnic <laughs> as aristocrats during countless wars. Uh, we're probably also betting. I mean, but you're. This is a great. It's a fascinating idea. And um, Noel, like you said earlier, we have arrived at this concept of observation. Right. Uh, the there is another incredibly intriguing theory folklore, whatever you want to call it, about UFO or UAP activity around nuclear facilities. Oh, and yeah. I think that's one that stuck with us for years because in the in the story, if you want to be completely credulous about it, the way the story goes is that these craft seem peaceful, but they shut down certain nuclear activity. Yep. And at multiple storage facilities for nuclear weapons or silos, right? Where where the military would actually launch these weapons from. Yeah, and it's occurred Man, Ben, I don't have specifics for you right now, but I know it's occurred at multiple bases according to multiple witnesses. Yeah, uh I think it was Oh, there were a couple that really shut down or there are a couple that really stuck out. I think two Air Force veterans said that they saw UFOs shoot nukes out of out of the sky, test nuclear devices. So they disabled then, them, right? Yeah. Uh, the Pentagon is was investigating those reports as recently as February of this year. So people are still thinking about this. It's in the zeitgeist. Last thing I'd say with the crazy traveling observer thing, <sighs> all right, this is not the most inspiring thought. But if people could travel back in time, Given the sheer amount of people who like to do stuff like battle reenactments, of course people would travel back in time to look at things. Of course they would. Oh, God. Can you think of all the time travel tourism that would be inevitable? Oh, it would just clutter up, you know, uh, Mount Everest of like 500 years ago. You know what I mean? Like it would just we'd never be able to recover from time travel available (laughs) to the masses. This is a horrible idea. Sorry. It would be like those Instagram hotspots. That Dude, just have it would oh, be so yeah. gross. Oh. Oh, it would be so gross. Just hanging with a plague doctor, black plague. I mean, and this, this doesn't even take into consideration butterfly effect type stuff. You know what I mean? This oh, is yeah. just like, oh gosh, oh man, there is no, uh, there is no now. Can you um, imagine Dealey Plaza? Yeah. 
Sorry. Okay, I'm done. I mean, based on how many people later said they were there. <laughs> the conspiracy yeah. looky-loos coming. <laughs> uh, Post like, up in the book repository. What is it, like four times the actual population of Dallas in the 60s <laughs> yeah. was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just happened to be on the, sa- on the exact street, too. Uh, so, okay, let's talk about the one that I think a lot of us in the crowd today will military veterans currently serving civilians alike you'll probably agree that the most plausible explanation would be some sort of unknown man-made thing right if there was a physical object if it genuinely had the effects attributed to it then it would be some sort of human-made secret craft which we know happens like the uh horton ho22 that was a real secret thing uh we know that governments have successfully kept the lid on some of their projects, but we'd have to ask hard questions about capabilities and later use. Remember, the atomic bomb was only secret until it exploded. And then they had to say, we have an atomic bomb, Uh, right? uh, Guys, yes, but what about Die Glock? The bell? Yeah, come on. Uh, uh, (laughs) Wasn't that like the, the Nazi death ray? What was that? It, it was the idea of a um, a device that could leverage gravity in uh, in ways that the rest of the world did not understand. Uh, the more fanciful tales say it's based on ancient technology that was lost. But yeah, Daiglock. We should go back to that one. Let's That's do some Indiana teams. Jones stuff. Yeah. It's like a weapon powered by a sacred crystal. You know, you got to put it yeah, in Yeah, yeah, just so. Well, it's 1940s. The idea that it could travel. It's 1940s. 1940s. This is 1951. Yeah, maybe just they saying. Just, maybe maybe right, they got I lost. I hear what you're just saying. You're dead on. I, 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 like, I like that explanation because the big logical problem with secret craft is that um, if, if it was capable of doing everything that Walls and allegedly his colleagues encountered, then why hasn't it been seen since? If this was such a force multiplier in combat, then why aren't there multiple iterations of this by multiple governments doing some version of this? Why did the U.S. spend billions of dollars on spy planes that cannot make these maneuvers? Well, because when you get in one of these things, you can pilot it for about 45 minutes, and then you just get completely for, like microwave failure. Yeah, 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 you're done. Oh, yeah, okay. That reminds me, there's a great comic book from back in the day called Strike Force Moratory, and the idea is that aliens are real, they're invading, and there's a way to give some small percentage of the population superpowers, and they can fight the aliens for about a year, at which point the treatment catches up with them and they die. You know, that kind of Pyrrhic victory, Faustian bargain. I mean, maybe that's interesting. Also, I like the idea that of this being a a non-linear time travel device that was a test craft and maybe people several hundred years or who are we kidding, several decades in the future are just like, man, I wonder what happened to Derek. Well, yeah. What if, <laughs> what if you quantum leap time traveled, you know, to that moment and artillery fire is hitting you while you're in your craft? You're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You fly over <laughs> and this guy in the bunker has a rifle and shoots at you and a bullet goes into your time machine and you're like, oh, no. And you start flashing the lights and you get real angry. And then you see a little button down on the console that says laser beam. So you just fire that sucker. Laser beam. Uh, yeah, I mean, the experience would be not too dissimilar from folks flying a helicopter over North Sentinel Island, Ooh, you know? There you go. Right? And uh, I, I don't know. These are, again, thought experiments. None of this has been proven. No, but no, we no. do know cl- classified craft exist uh, back then and today. And in each instance of an effective use case, that technology doesn't stay secret forever, right? There's a limited amount of time on it. Last thing, and this one is for our pals over at Daily Zeitgeist, what if the Easy Company experienced something similar to Havana Syndrome? What if whatever they saw, whatever they experienced, or collections of things they experienced, what if their cultural framework did the explaining for them? That would check out. If we're to believe the official Havana Syndrome stories, guys. 
Yeah, check out check out the dollop. They did a great. Uh, I think it was the dollop did a great examination of that. No, uh, Viceland. Z- yeah, Viceland Vice and the Zeitgeist and the Zeitgang. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes. Do check them out. You can find us making regular appearances on their shows, um, or maybe semi regular appearance. We we're recurring characters. You know what I mean? We drop by. We're, we're drop definitely by. characters. We're definitely sure. characters. We want to hear what you think, folks. Uh, especially that last that point about whether you have experienced or heard tell, as we would say in Tennessee, uh, stories of of similar anomalous, unexplained things in the field of combat. You know, uh, like one thing that um, thing that got me is when in the recent occupation of Afghanistan, you would hear people describing run-ins with strange animals. Uh, there's it's a big world. There's a lot out there. We'd love to read your stories, hear your stories. And if you're okay with it, share them with your fellow conspiracy realist. So uh, get in touch with us. If you've got a tale to tell around this digital uh, campfire in the great darkness of 2023. Yes. Ben, before we get out of here, I just wanted to tell you a quick story. I was uh, down near my old house and I went to one of our favorite places in the world, Atlanta Vintage Books. And oh, yeah. when they've got that room in the back that has just the esoteric stuff. And I found a huge old tome. I mean, it is super thick. And it was just the Dictionary of Folklore. And there's a bunch of different volumes of it from different years. But I found one. I think it's from like 87. I don't know, 85 to 87 or something like that. I'm going to bring it your way whenever uh, I see you next, just because it looks, it's just a perfect, I know you've got the stuff in other books, but man, it is, it's awesome. I would love, I would consider that a close, a a huge favor. And also, also, you know what? I just thought of a weird prank that the three of us, well, the five (laughs) of us could do, you listening along at home. How cool would it be? This is such a, a weird thing to do. I don't know if it'll work. How cool would it be to get a book printed and either make yourself the author name or have an old timey photograph of yourself somewhere in the book and then age the book up. So it looks like it was made in, you know, the 1800s mm-hmm. or something and it's leave dastardly. it around for someone to find. Oh yeah. And some <laughs> pretty, pretty good forensic level aging. We got a guy. We got guys. Oh, yeah. Leave it in a cafe somewhere or somewhere that's just going to have books on a table somewhere. And people look yeah. at it every once in a while and then start frequenting the cafe. Yeah. <laughs> or it'll be like one of those X-Files cases where there's like somebody that should not be alive based on like archival photos they found of them from mm-hmm. like a you know, hundred years ago. And it's like, no, it must be a, a relative. There must be some logical explanation for this, you know, says the brass at the FBI. Right. No imagination. Top those guys. Yeah. So Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube. Uh, all, all the hits, conspiracy stuff, conspiracy stuff show uh, some derivation thereof. If that doesn't quite shoot, a, shoot the lasers through your fog, uh, then why not give us a phone call? Also, credit, credit, Noel said that line. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, you can. I'm going to say this line this time. Uh, 1-833-STDWITK is the number to call. Oh, yes. When you call in, do not say your real name. Give yourself a cool nickname, a code name, if you will. You've got three minutes. Say whatever you'd like besides your real name. And let us know if we can use your name and message on the air. If you've got more to say that can fit in that three-minute voicemail message, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. 
I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.